Well, good morning, Midtown. It's, uh, it's really good to be with you. And when I say it's good, I mean uh, this is really, really good. I mean, it's, it's not just good. This is an amazing time. It's a fantastic time. It's really an unbelievable good season for the life of the church. And you have to wonder, how can you possibly say that? I mean, COVID is still unpredictable. We're not together uh, in full yet. There's unrest all across our nation. We have elections coming in November. How can you possibly say that this is a good season? Well, I can say that because when I turn to the Word of God, I see that God promises that He is working all things together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. And this passage in Romans 8, where God makes this promise that He's working all things together for your good and for my good, for our good, that this is good, it's sandwiched. It's sandwiched at the beginning of, uh, before this verse, it's talking about the Holy Spirit is praying for us. The Holy Spirit is actually groaning for us with groans too deep for us to understand. That's the top slice of the bread of this, this promise that all things are working together. Good. The bottom slice of bread is that we are more than conquerors. So the Holy Spirit is interceding for us and groaning for us, and we are more than conquerors. And right in the middle, God promises He's working all things together for the good. So we may not be able to see that right now, uh, how is this possibly working out for our good? We may not be able to physically see it in the moment, but the Lord is challenging us as the church by faith now to lean in, to set our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. And when we do that, our faith actually grows legs and we begin to participate with the good that the Lord is doing. So how do we do that? Well, to help us today... I, I want to take us back to another time in the history of the church where things just were crazy and it was really uncertain about how the Lord was actually working all of this out for the good. And we're going back to uh, the book of Acts and we're uh, going to the very beginning of the church where Jesus was on the cross and then he was buried and everybody's wondering how can this possibly work out for the good and then he rose again and when he rose again the disciples were hiding out in the upper room afraid and the holy spirit came and kind of slapped all the disciples and they came out and began to preach the good news and thousands of people entered into the church they became believers and these thousands that came together they did something to put their faith in motion they did something that uh, gave their faith legs. So let's read what they did, and maybe we can learn today from it. This is in the book of Acts. This is chapter 2, and I'm starting to read in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, and they broke bread in their homes. And they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Well, this is um, it's an amazing passage. If you've been around the church very long, you've probably read this before, and this is a passage that has words like awe in it, which that's always a good word uh, when you're describing a part of your life. It talks about signs and wonders, and 
They're in each other's homes and they're glad and they're praising. And we could spend literally hours kind of working our way through this passage. But believe it or not, I really want to camp out in just the first two words. The first two words of this passage, because I think that without these first two words, everything that happens after those first two words, uh, they all hinge upon those first two words. And I think it hinges for us now too. That the first two words are guiding us as a community about how not just to go to a church in this season, but how do we be the church in this season? Those first two words are, they devoted. So let's break them apart. So the first word is they. They weren't alone. And I don't know about you, but it is amazing to me that the first thing that Jesus does after his ascension and he's building his church is he makes sure that they know they are not alone. And this, this is a really, really a big deal because being alone is a really, really big deal. If you've ever been lonely, you know how big a deal it is not to be lonely. When I was in uh, second grade, I was going to Horseshoe Elementary School, uh, which was two neighborhoods away. But in our neighborhood, they started to build um, our own elementary school, Martin Park Elementary School. And so my third year, uh, we walked to school. It was just a mile away. It was a brand new school, lots of new students. We didn't know who was going to be in the school. We didn't know who all the people were. And we walked in. We started going to the classrooms. Miss Smith welcomed me with a big old hug. And, but the most terrifying moment of that entire year was the first day at school where I'm walking through the lunch line and they're putting, you know, applesauce on your tray, you know, and fish sticks. And the most terrifying moment was turning around from that line and realizing now I had to go and sit at a table. And the question that's going through this third grader's mind is, am I alone? Am I alone? And am I, I going to be that weird kid that eats his boogers and sits at the table all by himself? Like, is that going to be the mark of my life? And you know, what's funny is that it's funny, but it's not funny. Because the terrifying notion that I'm all alone was relieved when my soon-to-become best friend, Greg, who was the first guy to shave in fifth grade, raised his hand and whistled and said, Drawn! And everything inside of me rejoiced. Because somebody wanted me. Somebody said, you belong here with us. This is your place. I don't know how to say it, but in that moment, I experienced the weight of I am a they. I'm a they. In Maslow's hierarchy of our human needs, maybe you studied this in high school, where it's the pyramid and the bottom pyramid is your physical needs like food and water and shelter. That's the primary. You've got to have that to survive. And the second that you've got to have to survive is safety. You've got to know that there's not something getting ready to eat you. That's pretty important for you to be able to survive in life. But you know what the next one is? The, right above not having an animal eat you is belonging. You've got to have that. That's how God has made us. He's made us to belong. It's so strong in us, this need to belong, this hunger to belong, that when we feel like we're not getting it, our fear begins to creep in and it hijacks the very divine thing that God created us for. It hijacks it with not just belonging, but fitting in. And so we don't wait to belong. We actually, we manipulate a maneuver so that we can try to fit in and do whatever it takes to fit in. 
I mean, I, I remember in high school what we did to fit in. Maybe you could think about what you did when you were in high school. For me, it was puka shells. Now, you may not know what that is. Uh, puka shells were these little white shells that you'd put, they put holes in the middle of and they'd make a necklace, like a choker necklace of these white shell necklaces. They were made famous by Sonny Crockett. Another person you may not know, that's from Miami Vice, which you may not know, which you should go to YouTube right now and you should watch it because it'll help you understand me. Don Johnson played Sonny Crockett, this cool detective that worked for Miami Vice, and he wore puka shells. And I'm going to let you in on a little secret. I did it to fit in. But here's an even darker secret. I like puka shells. I do. I, I think they're awesome. I'd be wearing them right now, but I want to fit in. All right? People would laugh at me at 12 South, all right? I know the crazy things we do. But the first thing that Jesus did in our lives is to make us obey. He says, you don't have to fit in. You belong. Just as you are in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 10, it says, once you were not a people, but because of what Christ did for us on the cross and through the power of his resurrection, through his ascension and soon to be our glorification, you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. We're his peeps. That's who we are. Never alone. Never alone. God will never forsake you. And do you know what's amazing about this is that the first you are a they is not with each other. The first you are a they is with him. He's, he's like, you're one of us. You're mine. I don't know what that means to you, but to belong with someone who makes promises and can fulfill them is, is life-changing. I was driving through the Hill Center listening to the radio the other day, and Dolly Parton came on the radio. I was like, Dolly, like, it wasn't an old song, it was a new song. I'm like, Dolly. And I started listening to her song and listened to what she was saying. No, I never walk alone, never walk alone. You're always there. In the waiting, in the searching, in the healing, in the hurting, like a blessed, like a blessing buried in the broken pieces every minute, every moment, where I've been or where I'm going, even when I didn't know it or could even see it, there was Jesus. There was Jesus. That's what she was singing about. And I'm thinking, Dolly, like spitting out some truth on the radio while I'm in the Hill Center because there's nothing more true than that right there. That if you belong to Jesus, he says, no matter where you go, I'm there. No matter what you're into, I'm there. No matter how good you are or how bad you are, I am there. It also gives a whole new meaning to islands in the stream. Think about it. It'll come to you. And here's what's beautiful, that when Jesus says, I've called you to me, and, uh, and he kisses us and he embraces us and he says, you belong, and, and you belong with me, the next thing he does is he says, now turn your head and look, because you belong to them. After he turns us to us, he turns us to each other. And he turns you as the believer, as the church, to others. And these other people are just like you. They're, they're beautiful messes. These, they're people that are inconsistent. They're people that are hypocritical. They're these beautiful works of art. The, the body of Christ is this divine poetry wrapped in a complicated mess. And let me say something that's true about the people that Jesus is turning your face towards. We're not a bunch of screw-ups that happen to go to church. We're, we are the church that at times happened to screw up. 
And that difference is a big, big difference. Because I always live out of who I am. I am not a screw-up that goes to church. I am the church who happens to screw up a lot. And the big difference is, if I know who I am, if I'm living out of my deepest identity that I have been kissed by Jesus and He loves me and He says, I am with you and you belong with me, I have transformed you, that is the only thing that's going to give me courage to walk into community and the church with vulnerability. See, when we, when we move to warn one another, when we become a they, not just with Jesus, with each other, we do it with our whole selves. We don't, we don't come hiding. We, we don't come pretending that we're something that we're not. I mean, that's not real community. I mean, I'll tell you the most boring small group is the small group where people get together and they talk about their day. I mean, come on, give me a break. Like, I had a meeting with my boss today, and, you know, and I, I think I might get a raise, and then I had this phone call, and somebody's giving you all the bullet points of their day. There's nothing more boring than that. But if they come in and say, when my boss walked into my office, I was terrified because my boss reminds me of my dad. And my dad never encouraged me. My dad always shamed me. At every point, he always told me what I was doing wrong. And when my boss came in, I had to deal with the fear in my own heart. And when I stopped being afraid, I actually got angry with my boss. And I couldn't believe what was going on inside of me. And then I became really sad that I had to deal with that. Boy, you and I, I'm in on that. But you want, that small group just became very exciting all of a sudden because somebody brought them their real self. When somebody comes to small group and says, hey, I just got to confess to you, something I've learned during COVID is I don't like my kids. Shocker. If you're a parent and you've never had the moment where you're questioning whether or not these are really your kids, then you probably don't spend enough time with your kids. Because you're convinced that you would actually have better kids than that. (laughs) That's a whole nother dog. But when we bring our full selves, we bring our needs, we bring our desires, we bring our loves, we bring our addictions, we bring our disappointments, we bring our emotions, we bring our family history and our dating history and our dating fails and our dating uh, situations and successes and our Enneagram numbers and all that stuff. Because we bring our whole selves. And when we bring our whole selves, that's why we need the second word. It's not just they, but the second word is devoted. They devoted. This word, this word devoted is an interesting word in Greek. And the Greek language is really beautiful in the sense that it gives us this kaleidoscope of meaning when we look at at a word. And this Greek word here means more than just devoted. It actually means to continue uh, or to persevere. It means to uh, be in constant readiness. But my favorite definition for this word is self-courage. We call it self-discipline, which is a whole other thing we should talk about sometime. Why is self-courage and self-love always displayed in self-discipline? As Proverbs says, the person that hates themselves hates discipline. Uh, but what it's talking about is this devotion of self-discipline. And some of you are really good at this. I mean, to be honest, there are some people watching this and even some people here that you are the most self-disciplined person in the world. You go to those birthday parties and you never eat the cake because you're committed to your fitness. And I just want you to know we hate you. 
because you make something so hard look so easy. Everything seems so perfect for you. And you got the physique that's just perfect and tight. And yes, we hate you. Uh, because something we know, and I want to speak to the perfect people in here, nobody's perfect. I promise you, nobody's perfect. In fact, I know what's going to happen in the next, sometime in the next six months. Some doctor somewhere is going to discover the vaccine for COVID. And she's going to have her picture all over the news, and she's going to be the Time Woman of the Year, and it's, they're going to talk about how much of a genius she is, and you know all the grades that she got, and that how she read War and Peace when she was two years old, and all this magnificent stuff about her, and then they're going to take a picture of her, and they're going to put it in the magazine, and you're going to look real close, and you're going to realize, are those Velcro shoes that she has on? Because she can discover the vaccine for COVID, but she can't tie her own shoelaces. It's true. Just walking around in Velcro sandals, changing the world. Why? Because there are no Captain Americans with perfect hair. I'm sorry, there are none. There are no Wonder Women with truth lassos. There's, they don't exist. And the re that being so true, I need people devoted to me. Because the essence of my life is not enough to worthy your devotion. I need you to love me so much that you're willing to wade through the swamp of my anti-hero-ness, my shame, my mistakes, my inconsistencies, my lack of love for my own children. I need you to be so devoted that you'll walk through all the sexual mistakes that I've made and all my addictions and all the pain of the real me underneath all the facades that you'll be so devoted to me that you'll walk through that and say, I want to see more. And here's what's crazy about this devoted thing is that there are people that need me to do that too. I, don't, I think I have an easier time thinking I need you than believing that you need me. See, I think our greatest fear, and I'm just guessing, I think one of our greatest fears, or two of our greatest fears, one is that I fear that nobody will ever love me. I just don't think anybody's ever going to love me the way that I want to be loved. And my second fear is I'm not sure that I'll ever get the chance to love another person the way that I really want to love them. Those two fears there are so powerful. They keep us away from each other. They keep us from devoting. And that's why the gateway to this fellowship here at Midtown the gateway, the doorway that we have to walk through to actually wear the name that we belong, it's the gateway of failure and blood. It's our failure and his blood. See, Jesus didn't come from the, for the healthy. He came for the sick. At 1 John chapter 9, he says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. Let me say that again. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of all our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have no sin, if we claim that we're better than we really are, we make God out to be a liar and Jesus out to be a liar and his word has no uh, place in us. The very beginning of this belonging, this very beginning of they, this very beginning of our devotion to one another is realizing and acknowledging that we are broken people and that we need the blood of Jesus Christ. We're the fellowship of the broken made whole. That's what unites us. That's what gives us our name. You know that in Revelations chapter 12, 
It says the two weapons that we have against the enemy that comes against the church is the blood of the Lamb, which is Christ went to the cross, and on that cross, He took all my sins with Him, and He paid for every one of them. And on the cross, He said, it is finished. That testimony and the word of our testimony. Those are the two weapons we have against the enemy, the blood of the Lamb and the testimony of the saints. And what's the testimony of the saints? I'm a lawbreaker. I have made a mess with money. I have manipulated and hurt relationships. I am a wreck emotionally. I have done horrible things with my sex life. I've done things with my career I shouldn't have done. I've made things uh, important that shouldn't be important. I'm a mess. And Jesus paid for that. That's my testimony. Jesus went to the cross to make me whole. And what he did on that cross is so outrageous that it's almost impossible to believe. Because the shame of all my mistakes is shouting so loud in my life that it's hard sometimes to believe that what Christ did on the cross changed us forever. In 2 Peter chapter 1, our staff was talking about this passage this week. It says His divine power, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, and because we now are a part of the day and we belong, now that we are devoted to one another, His power has given us everything we need for godliness and for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who has called us by His own glory and goodness. And through these, He's given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. He's given us everything we need that we may participate in the divine nature. And I asked our staff this week, do you believe that? And we all kind of said, no. And we talked about, is it because God's grace is that lame and, and that crippled? Or is it because our own imaginations are crippled? Is it possible that we're crippled by our imaginations and we're crippled by our own narratives and we're crippled by our own fears? And that's why I need you to be devoted to me because I need you to come in with that gospel truth and shout that gospel over my imagination, shout it over my narratives, and shout it over my fears. That's why we have to be devoted to each other. Well, okay, we're getting to the end of this. And I want to go a little deeper in this passage because they were devoted to each other in fellowship, and um, we kind of know what that is. You know, they hung out with each other um, and enjoyed each other's fellowship. They also, uh, they were breaking bread together, which is talking about communion, and we can talk about that another time because we do that here at Midtown um, the first Sunday of every month. Um, they talked about prayer. We've been talking about the power of prayer all summer long, which I hope has been an encouragement to you. But the other thing they're talking about is that they encouraged each other, they were devoted to each other, and it was a they in the Word of God and the teaching of the apostles. You know, this is a crazy group of people. I mean, go a little deeper, because um, what had happened in the book of Acts, at the very beginning of the book of Acts, everybody had come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And these were uh, Jews from all over the known world that were traveling there to, to celebrate this Passover. And uh, this was such a diverse group of people that when the Holy Spirit fell on the apostles and they actually came out and Peter began to preach, they started to speak in tongues and people were saying, we're hearing them speak in our own language. This was a people that was divided by language. They were divided by nations. They were divided by traditions. They were divided by values. They were divided by taste. They were even, believe it or not, a lot of different Enneagram numbers. 
They were really divided. I mean, they were different people. They ate different foods. They wore different clothes. They, they smelt different. They had different desires. They were as different as you could possibly be. But this is the group of people that they became they and they devoted themselves to one another. And what knitted them together? The teaching of God's Word. The teaching of God's Word. Because as we come to this, and it defines who we are. It, it explains who He is. And it helps us understand how to live our lives in, in relationship with Him and one another. So last week, um, I got to gather with um, several of the pastors here at Midtown, and we were with a Midtowner um, that is suffering from cancer. And she asked us to come and pray with her and um, to anoint her with oil, as it talks about in James. And, and I walk into this room. Um, I was a little late, so I was the last one. Everybody had already gathered, and I was thinking that this was going to be this solemn experience. And I walk in, and I see this woman with this huge smile on her face, and she's radiant. She is joyful. Like... I mean, and she's talking with such fearlessness, and she's telling us that her deepest desires, whether she lives to be a hundred more years or if she just lives for another year, her deepest desires in, in her life to glorify the Lord. I mean, it was moving. I mean, it just it it was stirring. It was experiencing the display of a passion for life and for the Lord, like it's it's just it was rare air for us. And you realize uh, there is a person fully alive. And several of us went over to the tap room afterwards and I leaned into the table of our pastors and I asked them, do you think it takes cancer to be that free? And we began to draw from our experience and we began to draw from the word and answer that question, no, it doesn't. That's what's happening here in Acts 2.42 and that's what should be happening right now here at Midtown. Is that we are a they. That's not something we create. That's what's true. And faith is calling us now to grow legs to live on the outside what is most true about us on the inside. We belong. We belong. And to dare in that belonging now to be devoted. And here's my challenge to you Midtown. Is that as we go into this fall as we begin this year, who are you devoted to? Would you consider that maybe there's a place for you to be devoted? Maybe it's a home church. Maybe the home church people, you're saying, I'm going to be devoted to the people in my home church. I'm going to, I'm going to stand and walk through the shame swamp of your life, and I'm going to keep on walking, and I'm going to care for you and pray for you and be there with you, and I want to ask you to do the same for me. Maybe it's your small group that you're joining or maybe you're starting back up this fall. Maybe it's coming to the live services and finding people that you can say, man, I, I want to be devoted to you. And would you consider that your devotion with one another would be so strong that it would be able to change the conversation from just how are you doing today to let's talk about God's Word and what it says about us. That you would open up the Word. That you would study it together. And that this fall, as we go into this fall, that we would live the power of who we are, that we would be fully alive and live like free people and encouraging each other daily.
It's a good time, Midtown. It's a really good time. Our Father is working. All things together for the good of you, for us, for me. Let's ask the Lord to give us eyes to see that. Let's pray. Father, would you, uh, Lord, give us grace to set our eyes on what is unseen and not on what is seen. Not on what is temporary, but what is eternal. I pray, Father, that, Lord, um, you give us the courage to know that we belong and to let Jesus take us to one another. And I pray when you do, Jesus, that you would give us the grace to be devoted to one another. The grace to know that we've been made to love deeply and that there's a community that needs me. But also, Lord, in my vulnerability and openness, knowing that there's a, there's a community that I need. So Lord, guide us that this would not be a season that we would shrink back, that we would not define ourselves by COVID-19, but that, Lord, we would know we are the church and that we would walk and live in the reality of who we are. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.